Section 6 of the Natural History, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Natural History, Volume 5, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 6, Book 21, Chapters 72 through 109. Chapter 72, Ten Remedies Derived from the Sweet-Scented Rush, or Tukites. We will also take this opportunity of mentioning the medicinal properties of the sweet-scented rush, which is found in Colceria, as already stated by us in the appropriate place. The most esteemed kind, however, is that which grows in the country of the Nabati, and is known as the Tukites. The next best thing being the produce of Babylonia, and the very worst that of Africa, which is entirely destitute of smell. This rush is round, and when applied to the tongue has a pungent, vinous flavor. The genuine kind, when rubbed, gives out an odor like that of the rose, and when broken asunder, it is red within. It dispels flatulency, and hence it is very good for the stomach, and for persons when vomiting the bile or blood. It arrests hiccup also, promotes eructations, acts as a diuretic, and is curative of affections of the bladder. A decoction of it is used for female complaints, and in cases of opistotony, it is applied in plasters with dry resin, these being highly valued for their warming properties. Chapter 73. Remedies derived from the flowers before mentioned. 32 remedies derived from the rose. The rose is of an astringent and refreshing nature. For medicinal purposes, the petals, the flowers, and the heads are used. Those portions of the petals which are quite white are known as the unglets. In the flower there is the seed, as distinguished from the filaments, and in the head there is the bud, as well as the calyx. The petals are dried, or else the juice is extracted from them, by one of the three following methods. Either the leaves are employed whole for the purpose, the unglets not being removed, for these are the parts, in fact, that contain the most juice, or else the unglets are first taken off and the residue is then macerated with oil or wine in glass vessels placed in the sun. Some persons add salt as well and others alkanet, or else aspalthus or sweet-scented rush, as it is, when thus prepared, a very valuable remedy for diseases of the uterus and for dysentery. According to the third process, the unglets are removed from the petals and pounded, after which they are subjected to pressure in a coarse linen cloth, the juice being received in a copper vessel. It is then boiled on a slow fire until it has acquired the consistence of honey. For this purpose, however, the most odoriferous of the petals should be selected. We have already stated, when speaking of the various kinds of wine, how rose wine is made. Rose juice is much used in injections for the ears, 
and as a gargle for ulcerations of the mouth and for the gums and tonsils. It is employed also for the stomach, maladies of the uterus, diseases of the rectum, and for headache. In fevers, it is used either by itself or in combination with vinegar as a remedy for sleeplessness and nausea. The petals, chard, are used as a cosmetic for the eyebrows, and the thighs, when chafed, are rubbed with them dried. Reduced to powder, too, they are soothing for defluxions of the eyes. The flower of the rose is soporific, and taken in oxycrate, it arrests fluxes in females, the white flux in particular, also spitting of blood and pains in the stomach, if taken in three scythe of wine, in sufficient quantity to flavor it. As to the seed of the rose, the best is that which is of a saffron color and not more than a year old. It should be dried, too, in the shade. The black seed is worthless. In cases of toothache, the seed is employed in the form of a liniment. It acts also as a diuretic and is used as a topical application for the stomach, as also in case of erysipelas, which are not inveterate. Inhaled at the nostrils, it has the effect of clearing the brain. The heads of roses taken in drink arrest looseness of the bowels and hemorrhage. The unglets of the rose are wholesome in cases of defluxion of the eyes, but the rose is very apt to taint all ulcerous sores of the eyes if it is not applied at the very beginning of the defluxion, dried, and in combination with bread. The petals, too, taken internally are extremely wholesome for gnawing pains of the stomach and for maladies of the abdomen or intestines, as also for the thoracic organs, if applied externally even, they are preserved, too, for eating in a similar manner to lapithum. Great care must be taken in drying rose leaves as they are apt to turn moldy very quickly. The petals, too, from which the juice has been extracted may be put to some use when dried. Powders, for instance, may be made from them for the purpose of checking the perspiration. These powders are sprinkled on the body upon leaving the bath and are left to dry on it, after which they are washed off with cold water. The little excrescences of the wild rose mixed with bear's grease are a good remedy for alopecia. Chapter 74, 21 Remedies Derived from the Lily. The roots of the lily ennoble that flower in manifold ways by their utility in a medicinal point of view. Taken in wine, they are good for the stings of serpents and in cases of poisoning by fungi. For corns on the feet, they are applied boiled in wine, not being taken off before the end of three days. A decoction of them with grease or oil has the effect of making the hair grow again upon burns. Taken with honeyed wine, they carry off corrupt blood by stool. They are good also for the spleen and for hernia and act as an emanagogue. Boiled in wine and applied with honey, they are curative of wounds of the sinews. They are good too for lichens, leprous sores, and scurf upon the face, and they efface wrinkles of the body. The petals of the lily are boiled in vinegar and applied, in combination with polium, to wounds. If it should happen, however, to be a wound of the testes, it is the best plan to apply the other ingredients with henbane and wheat meal. Lily seed is applied in cases of erispelas, 
and the flowers and leaves are used as a cataplasm for inveterate ulcers. The juice which is extracted from the flower is called honey by some persons and cerium by others. It is employed as an emollient for the uterus and is also used for the purpose of promoting perspirations and for bringing separations to a head. Chapter 75, 16 Remedies Derived from the Narcissus. Two varieties of the narcissus are employed in medicine, the one with a purple flower and the herbaceous narcissus. This last is injurious to the stomach, and hence it is that it acts both as an emetic and as a purgative. It is prejudicial also to the sinews and produces dull, heavy pains in the head. Hence it is that it has received its name from Nars, and not from the youth Narcissus mentioned in fable. The roots of both kinds of Narcissus have a flavor resembling that of wine mixed with honey. This plant is very useful, applied to burns with a little honey, as also to other kinds of wounds and sprains. Applied topically, too, with honey and oatmeal, it is good for tumors, and it is similarly employed for the extraction of foreign substances from the body. Beaten up in polenta and oil, it affects the cure of contusions and blows inflicted by stones, and mixed with meal, it effectually cleanses wounds and speedily removes black morphews from the skin. Of this flower, oil of Narcissus is made good for softening indurations of the skin and for warming parts of the body that have been frostbitten. It is very beneficial also for the ears, but is very apt to produce headache. Chapter 76, 17 Remedies Derived from the Violet. There are both wild and cultivated violets. The purple violet is of a cooling nature. For inflammations, they are applied to the stomach in the burning heats, and for pains in the head, they are applied to the forehead. Violets in particular are used for defluxions of the eyes, prolapses of the fundament and uterus, and separations. Worn in chaplets upon the head or even smelt at, they dispel the fumes of wine and headache, and taken in water, they are a cure for quinsy. The purple violet taken in water is a remedy for epilepsy, in children more particularly. Violet seed is good for the stings of scorpions. On the other hand, the flower of the white violet opens separations, and the plant itself disperses them. Both the white and the yellow violet check the menstrual discharge and act as diuretics. When fresh gathered, they have less virtue, and hence it is that they are mostly used dry after being kept a year. The yellow violet, taken in doses of half a caithus to three caithi of water, promotes the catamenia, and the roots of it, applied with vinegar, assuage affections of the spleen as also the gout. Mixed with myrrh and saffron, they are good for inflammation of the eyes. The leaves, applied with honey, cleanse ulcerous sores of the head, and, combined with serrate, they are good for chaps of the fundament and other moist parts of the body. Employed with vinegar, they affect the cure of abscesses. Chapter 77. 17 remedies derived from the bacar, one remedy derived from the combretum. The bacar that is used in medicine is by some of our writers called the perpressa. It is very useful for the stings of serpents, headache and burning heats in the head, and for the defluxions of the eyes. It is applied topically for swellings as of the mammalae after delivery, 
as also incipient fistulas of the eyes and erysipelas. The smell of it induces sleep. It is found very beneficial to administer a decoction of the root for spasms, falls with violence, convulsions, and asthma. For an inveterate cough, three or four roots of this plant are boiled down to one-third, this decoction acting also as a purgative for women after miscarriage in removing stitch in the side and calculi of the bladder. Drying powders for perspiration are prepared also from this plant, and it is laid among garments for the smell. The combritum, which we have spoken of as resembling the bakar, beaten up with axle grease, is a marvelous cure for wounds. Chapter 78, Eight Remedies Derived from Asarum. It is generally stated that asarum is good for affections of the liver taken in doses of one ounce to a semi-sextarius of honeyed wine mixed with water. It purges the bowels like hellebore and is good for dropsy and affections of the thoracic organs and uterus, as also for jaundice. When mixed with must, it makes a wine with strongly diuretic qualities. It is taken up as soon as it begins to put forth its leaves and is dried in the shade. It is apt, however, to turn moldy very speedily. Chapter 79. Eight Remedies Derived from Gallic Nard Some authors, as we have already stated, having given the name of field nard to the root of the bakar, we will here mention the medicinal properties of Gallic Nard, of which we have already spoken, when treating of the foreign trees, deferring further notice of it till the present occasion. In doses of two drachma taken in wine, it is good for the stings of serpents, and taken in water or in wine, it is employed for inflations of the colon, maladies of the liver or kidneys, and suffusions of the gall. Employed by itself or in combination with wormwood, it is good for dropsy. It has the property also of arresting excessive discharges of the catamenia. Chapter 80, Four Remedies Derived from the Plant Called Fu. The root of the plant, which we have mentioned in the same place under the name of Fu, is given in drink, either bruised or boiled, in cases of hysterical suffocation and for pains of the chest or sides. It acts as an anemagogue and is generally taken in wine. Chapter 81, 20 Remedies Derived from Saffron. Saffron does not blend well with honey or indeed with any sweet substance, though very readily with wine or water. It is extremely useful in medicine and is generally kept in horn boxes. Applied with egg, it disperses all kind of inflammation, those of the eyes in particular. It is employed also for hysterical suffocations and for ulcerations of the stomach, chest, kidney, liver, lungs, and bladder. It is particularly useful also in cases of inflammation of those parts and for cough and pleurisy. It likewise removes itching sensation and acts as a diuretic. Persons who have used the precaution of first taking saffron in drink will never experience surfeit or headache and will be proof against inebriation. Chaplets too made of saffron and worn on the head tend to dispel the fumes of wine. The flower of it is employed topically with chamoleon chalk for erysipelas. It is used also in the composition of numerous other medicaments. Chapter 82, Syrian Crocomanga, Two Remedies. There is also an eye salve which is indebted to this plant for its name. The leaves of the extract of saffron employed in the saffron unguent, known as Crocomagma, 
have their own peculiar utility in cases of cataract and strangulary. These leaves are of a more warming nature than saffron itself. The best kind is that which, when put into the mouth, stains the teeth and saliva the color of saffron. Chapter 83, 41 remedies derived from the iris, two remedies derived from the salionca. The red iris is better than the white one. It is very beneficial to attach this plant to the bodies of infants, more particularly when they are cutting their teeth or are suffering from cough. It is equally good, too, to inject a few drops of it when children are suffering from tapeworm. The other properties of it differ but very little from those of honey. It cleanses ulcerous sores of the head and inveterate abscesses more particularly. Taken in doses of two drachma with honey, it relaxes the bowels, and an infusion of it is good for cough, gripings of the stomach, and flatulency. Taken with vinegar, too, it cures affections of the spleen. Mixed with oxycrate, it is good for the bites of serpents and spiders, and in doses of two drachma with bread or water, it is employed for the cure of the stings of scorpions. It is applied also topically with oil to the bites of dogs and to parts that are excoriated. Employed in a similar manner, too, it is good for pains in the sinews, and in combination with resin, it is used as a liniment for lumbago and sciatica. The properties of this plant are of a warming nature. Inhaled at the nostrils, it produces sneezing and cleanses the brain, and in cases of headache, it is applied topically in combination with the quince or the strothium. It dispels the fumes of wine also and difficulties of breathing, and taken in doses of two aboli, it acts as an emetic. Applied as a plaster with honey, it extracts splinters of broken bones. Powdered iris is employed also for whitlows and mixed with wine for corns and warts, in which case it is left for three days on the part affected. Chewed, it is a corrective of bad breath and offensive exhalations of the armpits, and the juice of it softens all kinds of indurations of the body. This plant acts as a soporific, but it wastes the seminal fluids. It is used also for the treatment of chaps of the fundament and condylomata, and it heals all sorts of excrescences on the body. Some persons give the name of Ixiris to the wild iris. This plant disperses scrofulous sores, as well as tumors and inguinal swellings. But it is generally recommended that when wanted for these purposes, it should be pulled up with the left hand, the party gathering it mentioning the name of the patient and of the disease for which it is intended to be employed. While speaking of this subject, I will take the opportunity of disclosing the criminal practices of some herbalists. They keep back a portion of the iris and of some other plants as well, the plantago, for instance, and if they think that they have not been sufficiently well paid and wish to be employed a second time, bury the part they have kept back in the same place, their object being, I suppose, to revive the malady which has just been cured. The root of the saliunca boiled in wine arrests vomiting and strengthens the stomach. Chapter 84, 18 Remedies Derived from the Polium those persons, according to Masuas and Hesiod, who are desirous of gaining honor and glory, should rub the body all over with polium and handle and cultivate it as much as possible. They say, too, that it should be kept about the person as an antidote to poison, and that to keep serpents away it should be strewed beneath the bed, burnt, or else carried on the person. 
Decoctions of it in wine, either fresh gathered or dried, should be used too as a liniment for the body. Medical men prescribe it in vinegar for affections of the spleen and in wine for the jaundice. A decoction of it in wine is recommended also for incipient dropsy. And in this way too it is employed as a liniment for wounds. This plant has the effect of bringing away the afterbirth and the dead fetus and of dispelling pains in various parts of the body. It empties the bladder also and is employed in liniments for deflections of the eyes. Indeed, there is no plant known that better deserves to form an ingredient in the medicament known to us as alexipharmacin, though there are some who say that it is injurious to the stomach and is apt to stuff the head and that it produces abortion, assertions which others again totally deny. There is a superstitious observance also to the effect that, for cataract, it ought to be attached to the neck the moment it is found, every precaution being taken not to let it touch the ground. The same persons state, too, that the leaves of it are similar to those of thyme, except that they are softer and more white and downy. Beaten up with wild rue in rainwater, it is said to assuage the pain of the sting of the asp. It is quite as astringent, too, as the flower of the pomegranate, and as efficacious for closing wounds and preventing them from spreading. Chapter 85, Three Remedies Derived from the Holocrysos, Six Remedies Derived from the Chrysoscum. The holocrosos, taken in wine, is a cure for stranguary, and it is employed in liniments for deflections of the eyes. Mixed with burnt leaves of wine and polenta, it is curative of lichens. The root of the chrysoscum is warming and astringent. It is taken in drink for affections of the liver and lungs, and a decoction of it in hydromel is good for pains of the uterus. It acts as an amenagogue also, and administered raw draws off the water in dropsy. Chapter 86, 21 Remedies Derived from Melisophyllum If the beehives are rubbed all over with Melisophyllum, or Melitinea, the bees will never desert them, for there is no flower in which they take greater delight. If branches of this plant are used, the bees may be kept within bounds without any difficulty. It is an excellent remedy also for the stings of bees, wasps, and similar insects, as also for wounds made by spiders and scorpions. It is used, too, for hysterical suffocations in combination with nitra and for gripings of the bowels with wine. The leaves of it are employed topically for scrofulous sores and in combination with salt for maladies of the fundament. A decoction of the juice promotes the menstrual discharge dispels inflammations, and heals ulcerous sores. It is good, too, for diseases of the joints and the bites of dogs, and is beneficial in cases of inveterate dysentery and for celiac affections, hardness of breathing, diseases of the spleen, and ulcerations of the thoracic organs. For films on the eyes, it is considered a most excellent plan to anoint them with the juice of this plant mixed with honey. Chapter 87, 13 Remedies Derived from the Melilote The melilote, again, applied with the yolk of an egg or else linseed, affects the cure of diseases of the eyes. It assuages pains, too, in the jaws and head, applied with rose oil. And employed with raisin wine, it is good for pains in the ears and all kinds of swellings or eruptions on the hands. A decoction of it in wine, or else the plant itself, beaten up raw, is good for pains in the stomach. 
It is equally beneficial too for maladies of the uterus and for diseases of the testes, prolapsus of the fundament, and all other diseases of those parts. A decoction is made of it, fresh gathered in water or in raisin wine. With the addition of rose oil, it is used as a liniment for carcinoma. Boiled in sweet wine, it is particularly useful for the treatment of the ulcers known as melisarides. Chapter 88, Four Remedies Derived from Trefoil. The trefoil, I know, is generally looked upon as being particularly good for the stings of serpents and scorpions, the seed being taken in doses of 20 grains with either wine or oxycrate, or else the leaves and the plant itself are boiled together and a decoction made of them. Indeed, it is stated that a serpent is never to be seen among trefoil. Celebrated authors, too, I find, have asserted that 25 grains of the seed of the kind of trefoil which we have spoken of as the menyanthes are a sufficient antidote for all kinds of poisons, in addition to which there are numerous other remedial virtues ascribed to it. But these notions, in my opinion, are counterbalanced by the authority of a writer of the very highest repute. For we find the poet Sophocles asserting that the trefoil is a venomous plant. Simus, too, the physician, maintains that a decoction of it, or the juice poured upon the human body, is productive of burning sensations similar to those experienced by persons when they have been stung by a serpent and have trefoil applied to the wound. It is my opinion, then, that trefoil should never be used in any other capacity than as a counterpoison, for it is not improbable that the venom of this plant has a natural antipathy to all other kinds of poisons, a phenomenon which has been observed in many other cases as well. I find it stated also that the seed of the trefoil with an extremely diminutive leaf applied in washes to the face is extremely beneficial for preserving the freshness of the skin in females. Chapter 89, 28 Remedies Derived from Thyme Thyme should be gathered while it is in flower and dried in the shade. There are two kinds of thyme, the white thyme with a ligonous root which grows upon declivities and is the most esteemed of the two, and another variety which is of a darker color and bears a swathy flower. They are, both of them, considered to be extremely beneficial to the sight, whether used as an article of food or as a medicament, and to be good for inveterate coughs. Used as an electuary with vinegar and salt, they facilitate expectoration, and taken with honey, they prevent the blood from coagulating. Applied externally with mustard, they dispel chronic fluxes of the fosses, as well as various affections of the stomach and bowels. Still, however, these plants must be used in moderation, as they are of a heating nature, for which reason it is that they act so astringently upon the bowels. In cases of ulceration of the intestines, the dose should be one denarius of thyme to one sextarius of oxymel. The same proportions, too, should be taken for pains in the sides, between the shoulder blades, or in the thoracic organs. Taken with oxymel, these plants are used for the cure of intestinal diseases, and similar draft is administered in cases of alienation of the senses and melancholy. Time is given also for epilepsy when the fits come on, the smell of it reviving the patient. It is said, too, that epileptic persons should sleep upon soft time. It is good also for hardness of breathing and for asthma and obstructions of the catamenia. A decoction of thyme in water, boiled down to one-third, brings away the dead fetus, and it is given to males with oxymel as a remedy for flatulency 
and in cases of swelling of the abdomen or testes and of pains in the bladder. Applied with wine, it removes tumors and fluxes, and in combination with vinegar, callosities, and warts. Mixed with wine, it is used as an external application for sciatica, and beaten up with oil and sprinkled upon wool, it is employed for diseases of the joints and for sprains. It is applied also to burns mixed with hog's lard. For maladies of the joints of recent date, time is administered in drink in doses of 3 aboli to 3 sciathi of oxymel. For loss of appetite, it is given beaten up with salt. Chapter 90, Four Remedies Derived from the Homerocalis. The Homerocalis has a soft, pale green leaf with an odiferous, bulbous root. This root, applied with honey to the abdomen, draws off the aqueous humors and all corrupt blood. The leaves of it are applied for deflections of the eyes and for pains in the mammalae after childbirth. Chapter 91, Five Remedies Derived from the Helenium. The Helenium, which springs, as we have already stated, from the tears of Helena, is generally thought to have been produced for improving the appearance and to maintain unimpaired the freshness of the skin in females, both of the face and of other parts of the body. Besides this, it is generally supposed that the use of it confers additional graces on the person and ensures universal attraction. They say, too, that taken with wine, it promotes gaiety of spirits, having in fact a similar effect to the nepenthes, which has been so much vaunted by Homer as producing forgetfulness of all sorrow. The juice of this plant is remarkably sweet, and the root of it, taken fasting in water, is good for hardness of breathing. It is white within and sweet. An infusion of it is taken in wine for the stings of serpents, and the plant, bruised, it is said, will kill mice. Chapter 92. 22 Remedies Derived from the Abratonum We find two varieties of Abratonum mentioned, the field and the mountain kind. This last, it is generally understood, is the female plant, the other the male. They are both of them bitter like wormwood. That of Sicily is the most esteemed, and next to it, that of Galatia. The leaves of it are sometimes employed, but it is the seed that possesses the most warming properties. Hence it is that it is so beneficial for maladies of the sinews, for cough, hardness of breathing, convulsions, ruptures, lumbago, and stranguary. Several handfuls of this plant are boiled down to one-third, and the decoction of it, in doses of four sciathi, is administered in drink. The seed is given, pounded in water, in doses of one drachma. It is very good for affections of the uterus. Mixed with barley meal, this plant brings tumors to a head, and boiled with quinces, it is employed as a liniment for inflammation of the eyes. It keeps away serpents, and for their stings, it is either taken in wine or else employed in combination with it as a liniment. It is extremely efficacious also for the stings of those noxious insects by which shivering fits and chills are produced, such as the scorpion and the spider called phalangium. For example, taken in a potion, it is good for other kinds of poison, as also for shivering fits, however produced, and for the extraction of foreign substances adhering to the flesh. It has the effect also of expelling intestinal worms. It is stated that a sprig of this plant, if put beneath the pillow, will act as an aphrodisiac, and that it is of the very greatest efficacy against all those charms and spells by which impotence is produced. Chapter 93, One Remedy Derived from the Leucanthium. 
nine remedies derived from the Americas. The leucanthium, mixed with two-thirds of vinegar, is curative of asthma. The samsucum, or americus, that of Cyprus being the most highly esteemed and possessed of the finest smell, is a remedy for the stings of scorpions applied to the wound with vinegar and salt. Used as a pessary too, it is very beneficial in cases of menstrual derangement, but when taken in drink, its properties are not so powerfully developed. Used with polenta, it heals deflections of the eyes, and the juice of it, boiled, dispels gripings of the stomach. It is useful too for strangury and dropsy, and in a dry state, it promotes sneezing. There is an oil extracted from it known as samsukinum or americinum, which is very good for warming and softening the sinews. It has a warming effect also upon the uterus. The leaves are good for bruises, beaten up with honey, and mixed with wax for sprains. Chapter 94. Ten remedies derived from the anemone or phrenian. We have as yet spoken only of the anemone used for making chaplets. We will now proceed to describe those kinds which are employed for medicinal purposes. Some persons give the name of phrenian to this plant. There are two species of it, one of which is wild and the other grows on cultivated spots, though they are, both of them, attached to a sandy soil. Of the cultivated anemone, there are numerous varieties. Some, and these are the most abundant, have a scarlet flower, while others again have a flower that is purple or else milk white. The leaves of all these three kinds bear a strong resemblance to parsley, and it is not often that they exceed half a foot in height the head being very similar to that of asparagus. The flower never opens except while the wind is blowing, a circumstance to which it owes its name. The wild anemone is larger than the cultivated one and has broader leaves with a scarlet flower. Some persons erroneously take the wild anemone to be the same as argemony, while others again identify it with the poppy which we have mentioned under the name of roas. There is, however, a great difference between them, as these two other plants blossom later than the anemone, nor does the anemone possess a juice or calyx like theirs, besides which it terminates in the head like that of an asparagus. The various kinds of anemone are good for pains and inflammations of the head, diseases of the uterus, and stoppage of the milk in females. Taken to anapitsian, or applied as a pessary in wool, they promote the menstrual discharge. The root chewed has a tendency to bring away the phlegm and is a cure for toothache. A decoction of it is good, too, for deflections of the eyes and effaces the scars left by wounds. The Magi have attributed many very wonderful properties to these plants. They recommend it to be gathered at the earliest moment in the year that it is seen and certain words to be repeated to the effect that it is being gathered as a remedy for tertian and quartan fevers after which the flower must be wrapped up in red cloth and kept in the shade in order to be attached to the person when wanted. The root of the anemone with a scarlet flower beaten up and applied to the body of any animated being produces an ulcer there by the agency of its acrid qualities. Hence it is that it is so much employed as a detergent for ulcerous sores. Chapter 95. Six Remedies Derived from the Oanthe. The oanthe is a plant which is found growing upon rocks, has the leaf of the parsnip and a large root with numerous fibers. The stalk of it and the leaves, taken with honey and black wine, facilitate delivery and bring away the afterbirth. 
Taken with honey also, they are a cure for cough and act as a powerful diuretic. The root of this plant is curative of diseases of the bladder. Chapter 96. Eleven Remedies Derived from the Helichrysos. The Helichrysos is by some persons called the chrysanthemum. It has small white branches with leaves of a whitish color, similar to those of the abratonum. The clusters disposed around it and glistening like gold in the rays of the sun are never known to fade. Hence it is they make chaplets of it for the gods, a custom which was most faithfully observed by Ptolemaeus, the king of Egypt. This plant grows in shrubberies. Taken in wine, it acts as a diuretic and amenagogue, and in combination with honey, it is employed topically for burns. It is taken also in potions for the stings of serpents and for pains in the loins, and with honeyed wine, it removes coagulated blood in the abdominal regions and the bladder. The leaves of it, beaten up and taken in doses of three aboli in white wine, arrest the menstrual discharge when in excess. The smell of this plant is far from disagreeable, and hence it is kept with clothes to protect them from attacks of vermin. Chapter 97. Eight Remedies Derived from the Hyacinth The hyacinth grows in Gaul more particularly, where it is employed for the dye called hyacinthum. The root of it is bulbous and is well known among the dealers in slaves. Applied to the body with sweet wine, it retards the signs of puberty and prevents them from developing themselves. It is curative also of gripings of the stomach and of the bites of spiders, and it acts as a diuretic. The seed is administered with abratonum for the stings of serpents and scorpions and for jaundice. Chapter 98. Seven Remedies Derived from the Likeness the seed of the likeness, too, which is just the color of fire, is beaten up and taken in drink for the stings of serpents, scorpions, hornets, and other insects of similar nature. The wild variety, however, is prejudicial to the stomach. It acts as a laxative to the bowels and, taken in doses of two drachma, is remarkably efficacious for carrying off the bile. So extremely baneful is it to scorpions that if they so much as see it, they are struck with torpor. The people of Asia call the root of it bolites, and they say that if it is attached to the body, it will effectually disperse albugo. Chapter 99. Four Remedies Derived from the Vinca Pervinca The Vinca Pervinca, too, or Chemedaphne, is dried and pounded and given to dropsical patients in water in doses of one spoonful, a method of treatment which speedily draws off the water. A decoction of it in ashes with a sprinkling of wine has the effect of drying tumors. The juice, too, is employed as a remedy for diseases of the ears. Applied to the regions of the stomach, this plant is said to be remarkably good for diarrhea. Chapter 100. Three Remedies Derived from Butcher's Broom A decoction of the root of butcher's broom is recommended to be taken every other day for calculus in the bladder, strangury, and bloody urine. The root, however, should be taken up one day and boiled the next, the proportion of it being one sectarius to two kaithi of wine. Some persons beat up the root raw and take it in water. It is generally considered, too, that there is nothing in existence more beneficial to the male organs than the young stalks of the plant beaten up and used with vinegar. Chapter 101. Two Remedies Derived from the Batis the batis, too, relaxes the bowels and, beaten up raw, is employed topically for the gout. The people of Egypt cultivate the asinos, too, both as an article of food and for making chaplets. 
this plant would be the same thing as osimum were it not that the leaves and branches of it are rougher and that it has a powerful smell it promotes the catamenia and acts as a diuretic chapter 102 two remedies derived from the colocasia the colocasia according to glaucius softens the acridity of the humors of the body and is beneficial to the stomach chapter 103 six remedies derived from the anthelium or anthillum the people of egypt eat the anathlium but i cannot find that they make any other use of it but there is another plant called the anthillium or by some persons the anthillum of which there are two kinds one similar in its leaves and branches to the lentil a palm in height growing in sandy soils exposed to the sun and of a somewhat saltish taste the other bearing a strong resemblance to the campitus, but smaller and more downy, with a purple flower, a strong smell, and growing in stony spots. The first kind, mixed with rose oil and applied with milk, is extremely good for affections of the uterus and all kinds of sores. It is taken as a potion for strangury and gravel in the kidneys in doses of three drachma. The other kind is taken in drink with oxymel in doses of four drachma for indurations of the uterus gripings of the bowels and epilepsy chapter 104 eight remedies derived from the parthenium leucanthes or americus the parthenium is by some persons called the leucanthes and by others the americus celsus among the latin writers gives it the name of paradisium and muralis it grows in the hedgerows of gardens and has the smell of an apple with a bitter taste with the decoction of it, fomentations are made for maladies of the fundament and for inflammations and indurations of the uterus. Dried and applied with honey and vinegar, it carries off black bile, for which reason it is considered good for vertigo and calculus in the bladder. It is employed as a liniment also for erysipelas and mixed with stale axle grease for scrofulous sores. For tertian fevers, the Magi recommend that it should be taken up with the left hand it being mentioned at the time for whom it is gathered, care being taken also not to look back while doing so, a leaf of it should be laid beneath the patient's tongue, after which it must be eaten in a sciathus of water. Chapter 105. Eight remedies derived from the trichnum or strychnum, halicocabum, cali, doracinian, manicum, neurus, morio, or molly. The trichnum is by some called strychnine. I only wish that the garland makers of Egypt would never use this plant in making their chaplets, being deceived as they are by the resemblance in the leaves of both kinds to those of ivy. One of these kinds, bearing scarlet berries with a stone enclosed in follicles, is by some persons called halicocabum, and the others callion, and by the people of our country the vesicaria, from the circumstance of its being highly beneficial to the bladder, and in cases of calculus. The trichnin is more of a woody shrub than an herb with large follicles, broad and turbinated, and a large berry within, which ripens in the month of November. A third kind, again, has a leaf resembling that of osimum, but it is not my intention to give an exact description of it, as I am here speaking of remedies and not of poisons, for a few drops of the juice, in fact, are quite sufficient to produce insanity. The Greek writers, however, have even turned this property into matter for jesting 
For according to them, taken in doses of one drachma, this plant is productive of delusive and purient fancies and of vain, fantastic visions, which vividly present all the appearance of reality. They say, too, that if the dose is doubled, it will produce downright madness, and that any further addition to it will result in instant death. This is the same plant which the more well-meaning writers have called their innocence Dorocinion. From the circumstance that weapons used in battle are poisoned with it, for it grows everywhere, while others, again, who have treated of it more at length, have given it the surname of Manicon. Those, on the other hand, who have iniquitously concealed its real qualities, give it the name of Erythron or Nerus, and others Parason. Details, however, which need not be entered into more fully, except for the purpose of putting persons upon their guard. There is another kind, again, also called Halakakabum, which possesses narcotic qualities and is productive of death even more speedily than opium. By some persons it is called Morio, and by others Molly. It has, however, been highly extolled by Diocles and Evanor, and indeed Tismeritus, has gone so far as to sing its praises in verse. With a wonderful obliviousness of remedies really harmless, they tell us, forsooth, that it is an instantaneous remedy for loose teeth to rinse them with halicacabum steeped in wine. But at the same time, they add the qualification that it must not be kept in the mouth too long, or else delirium will be the result. This, however, is pointing out remedies with a vengeance, the employment of which will be attended with worse results than the malady itself. There is a third kind of halicacabum that is esteemed as an article of food, but even though the flavor of it may be preferred to garden plants, and although Xenocrates assures us that there is no bodily malady for which the trichnos is not highly beneficial, they are none of them so valuable as to make me think it proper to speak more at length upon the subject, more particularly as there are so many other remedies which are unattended with danger. Persons who wish to pass themselves off for true prophets, and who know too well how to impose upon the superstitions of others, take the root of the halakakabom in drink. The remedy against this poison, and it is with much greater pleasure that I state it, is to drink large quantities of honeyed wine made hot. I must not omit the fact, too, that this plant is naturally so baneful to the asp, that when the root is placed near that reptile, the very animal which kills others by striking them with torpor is struck with torpor itself. Hence it is that, beaten up with oil, it is used as a cure for the sting of the asp. Chapter 106. Six Medicines Derived from the Corcorus. The Corcorus is a plant which is used at Alexandria as an article of food. The leaves of it are rolled up, one upon the other, like those of the mulberry, and it is wholesome, it is said, for the viscera, and in cases of alopecia, being good also for the removal of freckles. I find it stated also that it cures the scab in cattle very rapidly, and according to Nicander, it is a remedy for the stings of serpents, if gathered before it blossoms. Chapter 107. Three Remedies Derived from the Onicos there would be no necessity to speak at any length of the onychos or Atractalus, an Egyptian plant, were it not for the fact that it offers a most efficacious remedy for the stings of venomous animals, as also in cases of poisoning by fungi. It is a well-known fact that persons, when stung by the scorpion, are not sensible of any painful effects so long as they hold this plant in their hand. Chapter 108. One Remedy Derived from the Pesaluta 
The Egyptians also cultivate the pesaluta in their gardens for chaplets. There are two kinds of this plant, the male and the female. Either of them, it is said, placed beneath the person when in bed, acts as an antiphrodisiac upon the male sex more particularly. Chapter 109. An Explanation of Greek Terms Relative to Weights and Measures As we have occasion to make use of Greek names very frequently when speaking of weights and measures, I shall here subjoin once for all some explanation of them. The Attic Drachma for it is generally the Attic reckoning that medical men employ, is much the same in weight as the silver denarius, and is equivalent to six oboli, the obolus being ten calci. The sciathus is equal in weight to ten drachma. When the measure of an acetabulum is spoken of, it is the same as one-fourth part of a hemina, or fifteen drachma in weight. The Greek emene, or as we more generally call it, mina, equals 100 Attic drachma in weight. Summary. Remedies, Narratives, and Observations, 730. Roman authors quoted. Cato the Censor, M. Varro, Antius, Sapio, Vestinus, Vibius Rufus, Hyginus, Pompinus Mella, Pompeius Linnaeus, Cornelius Celsus, Calpurnius Bassus, C. Valgius, Licinius Macer, Sextius Niger, who wrote in Greek, Julius Bassus, who wrote in Greek, Antonius Castor. Foreign authors quoted Theophrastus, Democritus, Orpheus, Pythagoras, Mago, Menander, who wrote the Biocresta, Nicander, Homer, Hesiod, Musius, Sophocles, Analaxus. Medical authors quoted Menestheus, who wrote on chaplets, Callimachus, who wrote on chaplets, Phineas, the physician, Simus, Tamaristus, Hippocrates, Chrysippus, Diocles, Ophelian, Heraclides, Hesius, Dionysus, Apollodorus of Citium, Apollodorus of Tarentum, Paraxagoras, Plistonicus, Medius, Diuchis, Cleophantus, Philistio, Asclepades, Cratius, Petronius Diodotus, Iolus, Erasistrus, Diagoras, Andreas, Mecenides, Epicharmus, Damian, Dalian, Sosimenus, Telepomenus, Metrodorus, Solo, Lycus, Olympius of Thebes, Philonus, Petricus, Micton, Glacius, Xenocrates. End of section six.